0: you would, please take your Bibles out and turn over to the book of Daniel. There we resume our study this morning. Yesterday, Rachel and I were walking, a lovely morning, and we passed by a gentleman that we passed by often in our neighborhood, and sometimes we even walked together with him, and he always asked me the same question when I see him on Saturdays. What's you preaching on tomorrow? And I said, preaching on Daniel. And he said, Daniel, how long are you going to stay in Daniel? <laughs> I said, well, I suppose till I finish it. And he goes, all right, well, praise God. <laughs> so we are, find ourselves this morning, we continue our look through Daniel 10. As you know, last week we saw the beginning of Daniel 10, where we looked at the divine sufficiency of God in troubling times. Daniel was mourning, and he found himself being confronted with this heavenly being, and he was being reminded of the sufficiency of God. And this morning he continues on, and we're going to talk about a theme we haven't talked about before in Daniel, about pain. I'm kidding. That pain comes up every week. But we're talking about a specific kind of pain this morning. As Daniel is being confronted with the reality of Revelation, we already know that he had been mourning. We already know he's beginning to see human history unfold. And he's, it's dawning on him that the exile is not the answer to the problem. That when they come back from the exile, that all is not going to be well. They are coming back into a world that is evil, and there's going to be systemic injustice for the remainder of of life for the people of God. And so, we can understand as Daniel is being confronted with this reality that it's painful, that it's sobering, that it's weighty. And so, this morning as we're looking at this, we continue to see the pain of revelation, the pain of revelation And so, without further delay, I want us to turn our attention to the text itself. This morning, we find ourselves Daniel 10. We will look at chapter 10, verse 10 through 21. So, for the remainder of this chapter, we'll cover this morning. So, beloved of God, this is God's infallible and errant word. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when you had spoken this word to me, or when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand... What is to happen to your people in the latter days? For this vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips, then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. Again, when having the appearance of of a man, touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to the fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what what is inscribed in the book of truth, There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. So ends the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing. Please pray with me. Father, we confess just about every week the complexity of these paragraphs in Daniel, and yet they're beautiful and true. Your revelation to us, your will for your people. Oh, God, open our minds and hearts this morning, I pray. Help us to receive this word and be transformed by it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Perhaps you may or may not have heard of the name from history, John Bradley. You may have heard of that name, and you may not have, but I guarantee you, I shouldn't say I guarantee, I can almost guarantee you that you've probably seen him. If you've ever seen the picture of Marines raising the American flag on Iwo Jima, classic iconic picture, then you've seen John Bradley, because John Bradley is one of the men in that picture, John Bradley was a Navy or medical corpsman in a Navy hospital during World War II, and as you can imagine, any medic or doctor or surgeon in any war who has to deal with the injuries of war sees their fair share of gore and war horror. I mean, we can't imagine the things that men came in with that those doctors and nurses had to deal with It is the thing that nightmares are made of. I dare not even describe some of the stuff that he had to deal with because it is not fit for this time. So as you can imagine, it left an indelible mark on him. It marked him. And he didn't speak about his experiences much. He usually kept them to themselves. When he was on the first date with a a lady by the name of Elizabeth who would eventually become his wife, she recalls that for about six minutes... She said six to eight minutes that he spoke about his experience, that he did it in kind of an offhand way, looking down at the ground in soft tones, and that he never spoke to her about it again. One day, when their son, they had a son when he was older, she was speaking to her son, and she said, your father never spoke much about the war, but for the first four years when he came home, he wept every night, profusely wept In his sleep. You see, the revelation of war had marked him. It was a painful thing to have seen what he saw, and he had to bear the marks of that pain. What we've just read in Daniel is very similar to this. Daniel is deeply marked by the pain of what he's seeing coming out from the throne room of God, beloved. And I I love that this is in the Bible because this is how physically taxing it was for him. He's in pain, Daniel. As we, as we look at this, we don't often associate revelation with pain, but here it is. Uh, we think of revelation as beautiful, true, helpful, and it is those things. It's exactly, that. it is beautiful, it is true, it is helpful, but beloved, it's, it's painful. It was painful for the men who received it and wrote it down and transmitted it. God be praised for a man like Daniel who was willing to walk in the pain so that we could have the Word of God. It's a hardship. We're going to see in more detail a little bit later on, but revelation for Daniel hurt. So, we understand that Daniel's reaction to the revelation of the Word of God is not merely spiritual. He's not just in a spiritual sense kind of thinking through all this. It's physiological. It physically affected him. It was physically visible that he was affected. And so we're looking at the weight of revelation. It's easy for us to read the stories and just read right over these details because it's not putting us in a great deal of physical pain. But can you imagine having the spirit world laid bare before your eyes, seeing the things of God, knowing your own sin, and knowing that everybody that you know and love and countrymen and people that you'll never meet, you're watching them walk through valleys of deep pain, and there's nothing you can do about it. I imagine and I can only imagine because there's nothing in my life that makes this seem like I can identify with. I can imagine how painful that was, and clearly it agonized him. Daniel was sobered because the return from exile was just the beginning. The return from exile was just the beginning of living in a world of exile for God, and he's seeing it. You've got to think how, how, must you, how would you have felt Being a Hebrew, thinking when the exile's over, life goes back. When the exile's over, we go back and and we can restart and renew, and realizing, oh, no, no, no. Life, there is no renewal. The exile has largely been a failure. So now successive centuries of wrath and pain and hardship are coming. We will be tried through the crucible, not in a paradise. Weakness in the face of God's message or His presence or one of His messengers is a consistent biblical theme, right? So, when the, they're coming to get Jesus in the garden, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. I am He. What happens to the guards? They fall over as though they were dead. If you read the book of Revelation, you see a couple, a few times when John is being confronted with things divine, he swoons. He needs to be picked up. We see it Here in Daniel, that's a consistent biblical theme, that when you are in the presence of the living God, you're not going to keep chopping carrots. You're not going to keep grinding your meal, making your bread. You're not going to continue to wash your face as you speak to him. Something is going to arrest you right then and there, and you are going to be as water before the Lord. That's why when you hear stories that come out of Mormonism with Joseph Smith, he sees the vision of the risen Christ in the woods, and Jesus, in his vision, speaks to him, and he has the wherewithal to ask the risen, glorified Christ, so which religion is the right religion? Right off the bat, that ought to tell you that something's fishy, that somebody in the presence of the glorified Christ has the presence of mind to want to get in a dialogue about are the Methodists or the Presbyterians right? That's essentially what he wanted to know. Well, not just those two denominations, but all of them. No, beloved, when we are in the presence of God, Daniel 10 is instructive. Revelation is instructive. How the people respond to Jesus is instructive. Because there is no playing cards and having casual conversation. This is straight up pain and humility before the Lord. People are confronted by angels even. They always note that there is fear and dread. You know why? Because I've said this before, angels are warriors. They're not little cherubs. They're menacing. They are, they are glory-filled with the glory of, They reflect the glory of God. And so, when we look at Daniel, or we look at Revelation, John, we look at other places, Moses before the burning bush, those are the proper responses, complete and utter humility before the God of the universe. It's not like meeting a neighbor or friend. It's meeting God. And so, with those thoughts in mind, there's one idea I want for us to see, and it's this that within God's revelation, there is great pain. Within God's revelation, there is great pain. What we would call that type of revelation, let's call it a beautiful agony. Because it's beautiful, because it, is, it comes from God, it's God's word. And in some sense, it's, it's a reflection of who He is, it's a reflection of His character, it's a reflection of the truth. But it's also agonizing because even in of something so glorious, so pure, so righteous, we can't stand it because it does something to the sin that's still at work in us. The weight of God's revelation is beautiful. It is agonizing because it's piercing. The revelation of God doesn't just want to help us be nice people. It doesn't just want to make us Uh, be more charitable. We should be nice. We should be charitable. But the revelation of God wants to to go right through the core of who we are and change it from sin-infested dead to sanctified alive. And that's a hard process. It hurts. The revelation of God, if it doesn't hurt some, we're not taking it seriously. Because it's calling out to us for some sort of transformation constantly, of some sort of constantly laying down and laying down and laying down as we're taking up the righteousness of Christ. And so it's piercing. Well, when we're looking here at Daniel, Daniel, starting in chapter, or started rather in verse 10, we are seeing a divine intervention. That's what we're going to call 10 through 21 is a, a divine intervention. And why do we say that? Daniel had prayed, right? That's the whole premise of this particular paragraph. Daniel had prayed. He had offered a prayer. We saw that prayer in chapter 9. And in the end of chapter 9, God started answering that prayer with the, with the 70 weeks. And then he continues answering the prayer last week, and he's continuing to answer the prayer this week. So this is a, a protracted answer from God. So God's divine intervention. Right here in verse 10, it says, and behold, a hand touched me, and set me trembling on my hands and knees. Now keep in mind, that flows right after verse 9 when he said, Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. He was overwhelmed, right? Completely and utterly overwhelmed. Now if you're like me, you've been overwhelmed before. And maybe you didn't fall on your face to the ground, but in your soul, you felt like you just were prostrated because of the weight of life's cares. Daniel is prostrated because of the weight of revelation and the weight of life's cares as it pertains to God's people. What is the first thing we tell? He tells us after he was prostrated that a hand touched me and set me up. But he qualifies it. He qualifies it. Set him up on his hands and knees so he went from being just completely prostrated to up some. And then it says that he was trembling. He was trembling as he did it. So, you see what's happening here. God is still letting the reality of the vision and revelation wash over Daniel, but he's beginning to raise him up. It is a beautiful process we're watching. You know, so often we just want to be up, but God says, no, no, no. Let the agony, let the pain of the truth wash over you some, but hey, My hands are on you. Do you see in the trembling, he's not alone? Do you see in the trembling, he's not alone? The the hand that reaches out and touches him is, is progressively strengthening him. It's kind of like rehab in a way. When you are broken or you're sick and you have to rehab, the first day it's not over, it's protracted as you're building your strength. Now, God is building strength in Daniel through this divine messenger through this divine messenger, he's building strength. And he says to him, so we, we get this very intimate, this is the first of three times, by the way, we're told that God or this, this uh, divine being touched Daniel, and each time is very specific and has a very specific result. So he touched him, and so Daniel is up a little bit. And he said to me, Daniel, man greatly loved. I want to stop right there. That We remember in chapter 9, we saw the very same phrase, man or Daniel, man, greatly loved. And it means something to be like treasured even, or highly esteemed maybe your, your uh, translation may read. But either way, we are again identifying Daniel, or he's being identified, as a treasure to God. That is his identity. He is treasured by God. And that is a rich thing. And if you're in Christ this morning, guess what? You too are treasured by God. You are loved greatly, And that is the best identity ever. That's the best identity we could have. And so when he says man greatly loved, he's identifying him by the the fact that he is loved. He's not a man who greatly loves. He is a man greatly loved, and that's important. He probably does love greatly, but his identity is not what he does. It's what God does in and to and for him, right? So Daniel stood by God's strength, or he's on his hands and knees, and then the angel says to him, He says, man, greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. There's that divine authority. That understand right there is an imperative command. It is an express command. Now, remember, we're going to be told a little bit later on in this paragraph, understanding is exactly what Daniel was praying for in the prayer. God, I want to know. And what is God's message to Daniel? Understand. I'm not saying that you should or that you can. I'm telling you to do it. Understand the words that I'm speaking to you. And so we read the flow of this. Daniel, greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up. And how does he qualify it again? Trembling. So he's gone from hands and knees, trembling. Now he's standing upright and he's still trembling because he's feeling the weight of revelation. It's okay for us to tremble, beloved. I don't love it either, but it's okay for us to tremble. Trembling doesn't mean God isn't working. Trembling doesn't mean that we've given in to a spirit of fear, although sometimes we can give in to spirits of fear. We can be overly anxious. But the trembling sometimes is the best way we can say, yes, I understand the depth and the weight of what is happening right now. So he stands him up, and he's still trembling. What I love about this is we're seeing right on the front end what is it that empowers Daniel? Well, it's the message of God. It was when the divine being speaks to him that he stands up and he begins to understand. And so, yeah, I mean, it's not too big a jump for us to say what strengthened him, what is the means of his understanding? It is the word of God. It's God's word. God's word specifically to Him. The word that we are reading here now. And so, when we look at this, how do we how do we take something? How do we take a bite out of that for ourselves? Well, we recognize that, beloved of God, God's word is where we find our strength. We are strengthened in the word of God. We are heartened in the in the word of God. We stand on the word of God and let no other word ever rival it. Because God doesn't call you or me or anyone because we have the wit, because we're clever because we're smart. You may be witty and clever and smart, and God bless you if you are, but that's not why you stand. You stand, and I stand, because of God's Word. God's Word is what empowers. That is why we are still in Daniel, because I believe with all my heart that every verse in this book is beneficial to us. So why wouldn't we preach it and believe it and read it and imbibe it? So it's the Word of God. And the, the angel continues, so now Daniel is standing, trembling, so he's gone from prostrate to hands and knees to standing, and then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. This is a beautiful verse The angel says, that's how we know that Daniel prayed for understanding. The angel says, that's what you were praying for. But he makes two observations about Daniel's prayer. We looked at this when we looked at the prayer, but it's worth repeating. He says of Daniel's prayer that the first, that you set your heart to understand, that Daniel had sought understanding, much like Solomon when he prayed to God, don't make me a great king, give me wisdom, give me wisdom to lead well. Daniel didn't say, make me a great man. He said, Father, give me the wisdom and the heart to understand what you're doing. I want to know your will more deeply. It's a great prayer. It's a prayer we should be praying. I should be praying it more. You should as well. So it's, he first notates this aspect of Daniel's prayer that he saw understanding, but he also, the second one, is the humility of Daniel as evidenced in his own confession of sin. Daniel didn't come to the Lord as a blameless man, although Scripture tells us that he was blameless. Daniel didn't come to the Lord as an upright man, although Scripture tells us he was upright. Daniel came to the Lord as a humble sinner, saying, God, I have sinned against you. Be merciful. Give me your grace. Restore your life and love and your people in me. Oh, beloved, what a prayer. He wasn't coming with a badge of honor so that the Lord would bless him. He was coming with empty hands, saying, I bring nothing but my sin and hope for your grace. Would that We would all pray like that. If you're like me and you would love to see a revival break out in America, do you know where it began when it has before in places like the Great Awakening? It began in prayer rooms with people confessing their sin, seeking the Lord's renewal, seeking the Lord's Spirit to reignite in them a passion. And the Lord did it he did it. So, if we would see it, let us come before the Lord as Daniel did, seeking understanding and humbly confessing our sin. And and he says, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. What? God is answering him. All that that Daniel asked for, God gave. He gave, he's going to give him understanding. He's going to lift his servant up out of the ash heap and give him joy? He's going to give him a word of truth for the people? It's beautiful. What does this tell you? What does it tell me? Well, it should tell us that there is great power in prayer. When we come to the Lord in prayer, beloved, let us always be clear, it's not to change his mind about something. It's not to coax him into doing something that he doesn't want to do. Because our goal in prayer is not to change God's mind, but we almost understand when we say that, we need to all come back around and say, but we need to understand that prayer changes things. Prayer changes circumstances, you know, because prayer reorients us into the will of God. So when I'm overwhelmed or hurting or broken or depressed, the last thing I want to do is pray, but the thing I need is communion with God so that my will and heart can be realigned with His heart. I may still tremble, but I'll have hope and I won't despair. I may still feel the pain, the sting of the pain, but beloved, I won't be alone. Those are rich gifts. It's hard for us to convince ourselves that pain is not our enemy. I've been very transparent with you about some of my uh, struggles with depression and, and anxiety, and it's hard for me to realize sometimes that those things are not my enemy. That's not my enemy. I don't love them. But I can't tell you how often you find yourself in that season and you realize that it's a gift in some way, that God is teaching you your own limitations and teaching you to cry out to one who is able to do immeasurably more than all you ask or think. I don't want anybody to struggle with anxiety or depression. It's it's a, it's a hard guest to accommodate. But beloved, when we realize that that particular thing is not our enemy. There is a larger enemy who doesn't want us to go walk through pain because pain transforms. They want us, the enemy of our soul wants us to stay aloof. He wants us to stay medicated. He wants us to stay not aware of things. You see, pain is the evidence that something is happening. Something is happening. And God can change our perspective on our pain through prayer. Prayer. God sent the angel. We can't get away from this. Uh, This is just remarkable. God sent the angel. Did you catch that at the end of verse 12? Because of your words. What a powerful testimony. God sent this creature because of Daniel's prayer. God is active. He tells us here an interesting thing. I love this. This is God pulling back the curtains a little bit of what's really happening. Verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. I'm going to stop right there. I know that verse 14 continues the thought, but let's stop right there for just a moment. So let's be clear on what the prince of Persia is in this context here. It's not talking about an actual person. It's not talking about what would in Hebrew be the shar, an actual prince or chief or leader. It's talking about some sort of spiritual force that had arrayed itself against the purposes of God. You, we, could, we could dig really deeply into what these princes are, and there's some there's some, uh, some interesting reading about that. I'm not going to do that today because I will open a can of worms that I can't put back in. Trust me, you would leave here with way more questions than I have answers. So, another time. But suffice it to say for now that these are demonic beings who are purposed to do evil in the world and this one had been assigned to persia and it came to stall this particular angel and keep and and war with it in fact it tells us that it was 3 weeks 21 days that he was stalled with this prince of persia this if you think of god Stationing his angel is with Daniel to give encouragement, to give, you know, to lift him up, to to give him truth and revelation, then the demonic world has creatures and beings who want to thwart those things, who want to work against it, who want to work evil and keep Persia and Greece and Rome and all the other successive countries on a trajectory of destruction and also to impede God's work in those places so that evil can't be undone. So yeah, you know what God just did is yanked back the curtain and said this is what's really going on. You see Persia, you see Greece, but there is a spiritual battle raging behind this very thin veil. And of course this is absolutely consistent that Paul in Ephesians 6 remembered that we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities. Paul is confirming what we see here in Daniel, that the real war It's not the people in front of you. So I told you about the tactics book earlier. When we're having discussions, we're not waging war with a person in front of us. We are dealing in something that's deeper ideas in a spiritual realm that wants to suck the life out of people. And so we fight a battle that is much more spiritual than it is physical. But what else does it tell us about this angel being here because of Daniel's prayer, that this angel is working God's will out through prayer. The prayers of the saints come up, and God is sending His messengers to work out His will in the context of prayer. So, when I tell you we don't pray to change God, God is immutable. That means He doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes circumstance. Circumstance is. So when we look at, so he continues his thought in verse fourteen, and I came to make you understand again. That's exactly what he prayed for. What is to happen to your people in the latter days? For the vision, for the vision is for days yet to come. He's given Daniel a vision for the future. That's what he's telling him. The things I'm telling you now, I'm giving you understanding about the future of God's people. What's going to to come to pass? He's telling him. It says, when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face to the ground, and was mute. So he still has not acknowledged that. So we can assume now he's still trembling, okay? Well, let's just go ahead and say, since we've not been told he's not. He's upright, but his head drops. You can almost see him slump over, and he's left speechless. He has nothing to say here. So he is looking at the ground. He is speechless. Without banging the same gong too many times, Revelation should be that way. It should be sobering to us when we see, when we're confronted with truth. I mean, beloved, even when you read your Bibles, do you ever read a verse or a passage of Scripture and just step back from it and go, "Wow"? If you haven't done that lately, let me encourage you to read the Book of James or the Book of First John just for fresh. And how the revelation of God, in terms of how we handle ourselves within the world, is sobering, and it will make you step back and go, "Wow." Oh, Lord, I need you. It sure does for me. Daniel is sobered. Why? He's privy to the plan of God. He's privy to the plan of God. He's, He's hearing the Word of the living God. Daniel had to see the pain of people. What ultimately adds up to is for centuries. Could you imagine? Imagine someone inviting you to a movie clip that just replays pain and hardship and persecution over and over and over and over. And that's all it is. There's no relief from it. Except for the occasional, hey, but I am with you. I'm going to be there. Which will bring tears to your eyes. We're not alone. We're not alone. But then pain and hardship. I would imagine that either one of us would have swooned. Any of us in this room would have swooned. Because it's very heavy. So now in the context of Daniel hanging his head, being mute. Here again, we get the next touch verse. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and I spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me and I can retain no strength or I retain no strength. So he's enabled to speak by the touch, this angelic creature. He uses the word Lord there. It's worth noting. It's the more common usage of the word. in this context, it doesn't mean Lord of glory or Yahweh. It's not the word Yahweh. It's more Sir, or could even be translated Master in some, in some context. So it's the idea that he's acknowledging the nobility of this creature, not calling him the Lord of glory. In fact, the ESV, if you have that, tips you off by leaving Lord in completely lowercase letters. That lets you know that they don't mean Yahweh. So he's talking to this one. He's acknowledging his majesty. And again, he just outright says, the visions pained me. The weight of truth brought genuine pain and weakness on Daniel because of the sobering reality of being confronted with the things of God. I mean, I'm not going to spend too much time on this. We've already talked about it, but John will do the same thing in Revelation. Uh, being will have to, he'll fall down. and being will have to pick him up because of the reality of what God is doing in God's Word and, and God's revelation. He's, he's being confronted with, thing, with the things of God, and that is no light task. That is why in church history or in the history of Christianity, when you have different sects or cults who come out who claim to have this vision of God, it's what I was saying about Joseph Smith earlier. When we have a vision from God, you know, like this, Like some of those cults have claimed to have, this beatific thing where the glory of God appears, people don't just take it. They don't have casual conversation. It does something, as we spoke of John Bradley earlier, it marks them. That is an experience that they are forever marked by. Jacob walked with a limp, Paul had a thorn in the flesh. And he was blinded for a little bit after he met with Jesus. And we, could, we could list others, but we get the point. It's sobering when we are confronted with the things of God. So in 17, Daniel asks him, How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. And so the angel again touched me and strengthened me. It's the final Mention of this in this paragraph. So now Daniel can talk and he is strengthened. And through it's through the direct touch of this being. What I find heartening about this is that God is with his people, and and when we need him, he's there. When we need strength from him, we have it. You may say, Brad, there have been so many times where I felt so weak and I didn't feel the strength of the Lord. I just felt my weakness. I'm sorry. That happens to me too sometimes. But here's what I do know. I know in those moments you're not alone. I'm not alone. Satan wants to say that you are. Satan wants to tell you, look, see, God is not strengthening you. He's just left you weak. He's not with you. And that is a lie. Those are lies. Because Satan wants to kill, steal, and destroy. You're not alone, beloved. If you feel weak, it's Okay. Lean on the Lord. Lean on His Word. Lean on the people around you. <laughs> Just transparency and vulnerability are beautiful things. are hard when to let people in, but when we do, God can do miraculous things. And I don't say that lightly. Healing like we've never even thought of can occur when we let the people of God in and we say, I can't lean on myself. I'm leaning on the Lord and I'm leaning on you. Please walk with me. It's beautiful when it happens. Daniel is not spared the pain or agony either, but he's also not alone. This being says, O man greatly loved, again in verse 19, and we see that word again fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. Literally in the Hebrew, it says, Be strong, be strong. It says it twice, it does that for emphasis. The ESV does exactly what the idiom is supposed to do be strong and of good courage is just fine but I like the forcefulness of the repetition. Be strong, be strong. All those are imperative, right? Except for do not fear, the, the peace be to you. I'm sorry, the do not fear is imperative. Peace to you is not, but be strong is. And what I mean is express command, intense command. God is it commanding Daniel not to be afraid. Why? He prefaces it because he's a man greatly loved. He's not alone. So don't be afraid. I know you're in pain, but you're not alone. I haven't left you. And he says, peace to you, that is the shalom of God. God is pronouncing peace on Daniel in his pain and agony and his turmoil. He's saying, have my peace and be strong. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And he's not asking Daniel to be strong. He's not recommending that Daniel should be strong. He's not suggesting that Daniel might be strong in the face of his pain and agony Have peace, don't be afraid, and be strong. He wraps this little, he wraps this paragraph of the rest of this chapter up with verses 20 and 21. Then he said, do you know why I've come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will also, or will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side except except." against these except Michael, your prince. What he's doing again, pulling those curtains back and saying, here's the real war. Persia's come, Persia's here, Greece is coming, but the battle is not with Alexander the Great or Antiochus. The battle is not with Cyrus or Xerxes, Darius or any of those people. The battle is with the forces of evil. Can I tell you what he's doing here? Do you remember back in the vision of the four beasts, the fourth beast that was so, well, you know what? We have the Bible. We have our Bibles in front of us. We can just turn there. Um, So it's the vision of the four beasts in Daniel chapter 7. And if you look at Daniel chapter 7, verse 7, so Daniel 7, verse 7, so chapter 7, verse 7, After this, I saw in the night visions and behold a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. If you remember, those of you who are with us and perhaps not remember, I told you that beast was different than the other beasts. It wasn't like anything. It was much more devastating than the other beasts. The reason I reference that here is because what I think we're getting in Daniel chapter 10 verses 20 and 21, the curtain is being pulled back and we're being reminded that the fight of our time is with the fourth beast. Yes, kingdoms are going to come and evil people are going to be in those kingdoms and they're going to work evil. But the real fight of God's people is not flesh and blood. It's in the spiritual realm where now Persia and Greece are just manifestations of a power that is more wicked and evil. A power that, that God the Father and Jesus the Son and God the Holy Spirit are waging war with in the spiritual realm in the battle, not for land, but for souls. Not for riches, but for truth. Love, well, that's why being so clear on our worldview is so important. We may think, oh, it's just worldview stuff. But it's not just worldview stuff. It's an opportunity to bring the truth of God by means of a, a scriptural framework of how we see the world to a world that is lost and dying and broken. People who believe lies and they, and they spout lies as if they're the truth. So having a solid worldview and being able to articulate it is so good and helpful and necessary. So this is not just Israel versus Persia or Israel versus Greek. This angel is saying, Michael and I are waging war in the spiritual realm for the people of God. God has a a will to do good. The kingdom of darkness has a will to thwart and do evil. And so there is a battle. Beloved of God, God's truth is beautiful. It absolutely is. But it, it also means pain. It's not a stretch to say that truth generally means something painful for us. Have you ever been in a situation where you've heard someone has said something truthful about you, and it cut deep? I have. And at first, you want to be defensive because you know, and then you chew on it, and you're like, oh, man, they're right. I really do that. I really am that way. And so in those moments, the truth is beautiful, right, because something now can be done, but it hurts. It hurts to see the truth of betrayal when you've been betrayed is painful. You want to know so that you can know the truth of things, and in and that way that there's revelation is beautiful, but the pain of it sits. It's hurt, It hurts. The truth of failure can be painful. When we fail greatly at something, and I have failed greatly at a lot of things, and the truth of it always weighs on me for a time because it hurts, but through those failures we begin to see things as they are. We begin to see truth, the very truth that we need. When we are confronted with God's truth, it is often painful because it means something has to change or die in us, and that is not easy. That is a hard reality. Truth is beautiful because it's the pathway to life that is rich and real and renewing. Truth is painful because it often means a death in us has to occur so that the truth of Christ can take root and flourish. And they're good deaths, and it's a good pain, but it's a death and a pain nonetheless. We don't need flattery, although we like to be flattered. I'm sure if you were honest, you like for people who would like to be flattered. That's not what we need. We don't need flattery. We need truth. We don't need a participation trophy. We need truth. We don't need the world's love and approval We need the truth of Christ. And beloved, if we stand in that truth, live that truth, believe that truth, there will be days of pain. But God will be with us, and we will be reminded oh so often that we are living for a far country, not this world. And so if this world doesn't approve of us, God be praised. If we win the loss to Christ, God be praised. No matter what we do, we stand on truth and God be praised. Please pray with me. God, thank you for your truth, for your revelation, even in the agony of it. It's so essential and necessary. Uh, Father, I want to boldly pray this morning that you would agonize us with your truth, the, the truth, the depth and beauty of it would sit heavy on us as you're calling us to be transformed. God, for every soul in this room, we need it, We need it desperately. We need your truth more than we need anything this world has to offer. And I pray we would drink deeply at the well of your truth. And as your truth does its work, I pray that we would constantly come back to you in our seasons of pain and being overwhelmed and be reminded you are with us. We are not alone. And you will be victorious. It's through Christ we pray. Amen.